conference, the, the theme this morning, uh, we're on week four, and the theme is thieves and occupants. And I, I, I am more and more, we'll come to that in a moment, Chris, if I'm just go to the slide, thieves and occupants, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more convinced that um, this is a very, very important series of teaching that we're seeking to uh, cement into the life of the church again. Um, there are people in this church, of course, that have been on the journey for a long time, and uh, your faithfulness to that is so appreciated. But other people joining us, people getting saved, uh, people being discipled, people coming to God, um, people uh, moving into the area and finding a place of fellowship. So this is so important, and I've really sensed in my heart again afresh the importance of the message and uh, we, we roll out this ministry from material taught and articulated in other times, but with fresh intent, reinforced and refocused. So week one, let me just remind you of the thieves. Because as you remember on that week, we described the church. The church is described in many ways in the Bible. One of the ways it's described is as a house. And just as you are careful what comes into your house and what doesn't, so much more so in the house of God. The house that God fills with his presence. We know that it's not defined by a building. So even today, there will be Christian communities gathering under the open skies. But for that time, they become a house that God inhabits by his spirit. You wouldn't like people to squat in your house, ransack your house, burgle your house, vandalize your house. You would be protective of that. There are churches around, friends, that have said to the enemy, tell you what, enemy, you can come and do what you want. And they have been remiss in guarding what comes into the house. And so we reminded ourselves of four thieves. As I think about these four themes, I'm more convinced than ever, friends, that they so intertwine and they so rise themselves up that I am amazed that churches are sometimes lacking in diligence to deal with the thieves. Religion. We are not called to religion. We are called to relationship. Rejection. Control and defense. And the revelation of those things coming against the house is that all those things, if you read the Gospels, came against Jesus on a regular basis and he pushed them away again and again and again. And then week two, Christian talks as we move from the thieves to what needs to occupy the house. And we'll be updating our literature going forward and reminding ourselves of the behaviors of the house. And the first one was discipleship. An ongoing pursuit from grace, not law, of God's work in our lives in likeness and living. Here's what a preacher said that I heard recently. Very few Christians advance beyond the first revelation of salvation. And that's why discipleship's a problem. Very few Christians advance beyond the first revelation of salvation. In other words, we commit to believism. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as Kevin's reminded us this morning. We've got a new entry point, a new passport, a new identity, a new home, a new journey. We've got the ticket. 
We've got the passport. If something happened to us today, we've got the entry into the presence of the Lord. But there's no growth on the journey. And that is not the heart of God. Jesus said to the church, as he commissioned it, go and make disciples, not just believers. Go and make disciples. And discipleship, friends, brings priority and purpose. Discipleship is to be fully devoted to the following of Jesus Christ. He's continually absorbing all that he wants to do in our lives. And I urge us across the room this morning, not only to commit to believing in Jesus, knowing that we've got a place in heaven, whatever should happen to us, but to commit to a lifetime followership of becoming more and more like him. And if you become a disciple, guess what? You're positioned to make a disciple. And the whole thing begins to proliferate in amazing, amazing ways. Week three, Josh Turner spoke to aspiration, moving ahead, taking hold of things, being enlarged and enhanced. And the aspirational spirit saves us from dwelling. Staying in a place that we're simply comfortable for and being propelled forward into all that God has got for us. He doesn't have to be old like me to be a dweller. I've come across dwellers at 20-odd, 30-odd, settled, staying where they are, comfortable, unable to respond to the moves of the Spirit of God. And I've come across people older than me that are still passionate about pursuing all that God has got for their lives, aspirational. Now, we're going to up the pace a little bit over the next three weeks because the six further occupants that we want to cover over those three weeks, and we're going to do two in each uh, Sunday morning message. And Andy and Christian will be tagging off each other next week as we think about faith and passion. But this morning, I want us to think for a few moments, and I've deliberately emphasized those points about the thoughts of team and unity. And we'll go to that verse now, Chris. Philippians 1, 27. And here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Well, it's not everybody that's had the first and second name mentioned after a book in the Bible, but that's me. And uh, <coughs> Genius for my mum and dad when, they, when I was born. Yeah. <coughs> Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together, some translations put, as one man, generic of course, for the faith of the gospel. What a tremendous verse. Now, there's a lot to cover this morning and Here's how we're going to try and do it. If we'll keep the verse up there just for a moment, I'm going to read it again in a moment, and then we'll go back to the backdrop. But there are a plethora of books on team and team organization and unity. Indeed, there are consultants, friends, that earn a full-time living simply speaking upon uh, the, the, the ability for organizations to work together. That's all they do. So it's a huge subject. And today we're going to try to just define afresh the journey of Arena Church with some reflections. A short bullet point outline that spills from the inspiration of that verse. And then a final 
application. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, Arena Church, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one man for the faith of the gospel. That is team, and that is unity. And as I was preparing this message for today, and because of the nature of this week, it concluded about five past ten last night. As I was preparing this message, there were two things that came to me. Number one, I felt incredibly blessed. I felt blessed to be part of a local church called Arena Church that is beginning to grasp the power of unity and team. Have we fully arrived? No, I don't think we have, and I'll come to that in a moment. But the fruitfulness of people working in team in Arena Church, friends, is incredible. You see, because within that team, they are finding synergy. And when we find synergy, it means that things multiply in their impact. It's a biblical principle. So what's happening in community is absolutely incredible. And it comes out of the power of the synergy of team. I felt blessed. I thought about people all over Arena Church. I'm going to try and reflect team at the end through a particular uh, expression of it. But I felt blessed. I I thought about Josh and the guys leading Universal. I thought about Helen as she gets up every Sunday and so graciously and enthusiastically invites kids to go out into Kids Church. And then about 40 adults go out as well and never seem to come. It's not that much, but she's got a team. She's got a team. And so it goes on. The administrative team in the offices during the week. And you know that administration adds to ministry. It's not sort of, well, they've not quite made it, so we've given them an office job. It's an incredible gift to the body of Christ. Teams. I felt blessed, but I also felt broken. Because I've reflected on how many times the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, has got this issue wrong. Make no mistake, friends, unity and the power of team is continually contested for in the heavenlies by the prince of darkness and his minions because he knows the power of when it works well. If you think he's going to sit back and let every church come together unified without being seemingly seeking to be impeded, then we don't know what the spiritual journey is all about. And boy, I've seen some churches seemingly going really well that have imploded, that have gone the wrong way. And it's on this principle of not protecting the unity of people. I hope you've got it, but maybe you're still on a journey to getting it. I'm going to make a strong statement. Please hear me. It's with grace and love. But if you think that you can build an advancing, prevailing Christian life without being knitted in committed relationships to other people in a local house, you're deceived. I hear people say, well, it's all about my relationship with God. That is partly true. It is all about your relationship with God, but I want to say it's all about your relationship with other people 
as well. And the, and the New Testament speaks continually about both. Now, I'm going to use a word that seeks to join team and unity together. It's the word togetherness. And that's what we're going to think about for the next few minutes. As I try and draw these two strands of what are part of Arena Church together. Standing as in one spirit as one man for the faith of the gospel. Let's think about unity for a moment. And I've referenced our booklet, our booklet that's been continually updated. And within that, Christian made a reference to the 18th century American revivalist called Jonathan Edwards. And within that is a quote from a covenant commitment that he brought to his church in 1742 because he understood the power of the unity of believers. If you get a chance to go into our office sometimes and it's locked and loaded, you know, you've got to be a nuclear scientist to get in there, you know. Uh, no, there's a bit of a code on for obvious reasons. But you'll see at the far end of the office a team covenant. And what happened out of a journey of staff meetings that take place at 9.30 on a Tuesday morning we, we talked about how we could protect the unity, the team of what takes place in terms of what we define as arena staff. Just one expression of arena. And we come up with a 10-point covenant. You might want to go and read it sometime. One of them, I, I don't want to go through them, but one of them was that we wouldn't have a meeting after a meeting about a meeting. Have you ever been in that? You know, you've talked with somebody and then as you're walking, I had it five weeks ago, I had a meeting with three people as I'm walking away, not in this church. I knew that they were having a meeting about the meeting that we were just had and it wasn't good. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. If the meeting's gone wrong, then let's appropriately address it, but not straight afterwards with somebody else. And sometimes deliberately letting other people know that that's exactly what you're doing, which makes it worse. So a covenant... And uh, Ephesians 4.3 says, always make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That's one of the reasons we did it. And in the original language of the New Testament, it's talking there about laboring. In fact, driving it down, it means to sweat at it. To really determine to give ourselves to unity. Not for things, not against things, but for things. And then... Here's another thought about the practical outworking of unity. If you have a problem with me, don't have a meeting after a meeting about the meeting, but come to me privately. And if I have a problem with you, I'll come to you privately. And if someone has a problem with me, but comes to you, you send them to me. And I'll do the same for you. Hey, if church were like that, that'd be awesome. And then what about team? Well, some time ago, we talked about the A-team. And there's imagery going all across this arena. For some of you that knew that cult series that used to take place on the TV. But five things about an A-team. Number one, it is an assortment. It is, and again, I'll come to this in a moment, but we're not all called to be the same. You know, one of the things about cults, friends, is the horrible uniformity of them. They all dress the same, they all say the same, they all look the same, they all act the same. Joyless. Joyless. Cults always erode joy in people's lives. But the Christian church friends, full of color and differences and nuances. 
and vitality and different people bringing their gift to the church. Then action. Faith without works is dead. Then availability. Where we give ourselves out of our status of sonship to serving the purposes of God. And then authenticity. Where we are real with one another. Rejoicing with those that rejoice and taking the hits where necessary together openly and honestly. And finally, affirmation. Where there's high fives, where there's you can do it, where there's encouragement, where there's God bless you, where I'm praying for you. That sort of spirit of affirmation that runs across the life of a church. Here's some of the things that you won't find within our documentation regarding team. I'm not a team player. It's not the language of Arena Church. If you're not a team player, you're going to be uncomfortable in Arena Church. And then what about this? It's amazing what can be accomplished when it doesn't matter who gets the glory, dot, 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 dot. It doesn't matter. And in too many churches, friends, it does. That's why you've not got teams. You've got people serving a big personality that gets all the glory. And it's not Arena Church. It is not Arena Church. And in terms of the context that Christian and myself find ourselves in, that gets tested on occasions. And for your team, if you're a leader of a team, you've sweated, you've given everything, you went to bed late that night, and somebody goes storming up to another member of the team, completely ignores you, and says, awesome job, well done. It was me that did it. You see, but it's amazing what can be accomplished within a team when it doesn't matter who gets the glory and it doesn't matter as long as he gets the glory. As long as he gets the glory. And I want to tell you, friends, through in the church, God's getting some glory. God is getting some glory. Now, I could run this morning to numbers of sporting illustrations because it lends itself to togetherness. I'm going to limit myself to one if that's okay. Three or four years ago, we had a rugby ball on stage. Describing how a rugby team is so different. You know, you've got the skyscraper uh, locked forwards at six foot seven, six foot eight, and then you've got the ugly ones in the front row. <laughs> and the more ugly they seem to be, the more they seem to get in the team. But the reality is, we need every shape and size within the church to make it work. But let me just mention Chelsea for a moment. I'm not a Chelsea fan, let me declare myself, okay. Um, but they've just won our English Premier League, and they've done it as a bit of a canter. The only interest in the Premier League now is who's going down. Um, so they won the championship. I was re- I'm fascinated by team psychologies. I love reading about people like Vince Lombardi, and how he sort of got hold of the Green Bay Packers all those years ago. Green Bay Packers, Wisconsin, yeah, they won the Super Bowl three times running. And, and in fact, the late Dan Topolsky, we had the boat race recently, and numbers of years ago, when five Americans, two weeks before the boat race was going to take place, says, we're through, we don't like your methods, we're on strike. And he pulled together a new team and they won. And fascinating. So I'm reading in last week's weekend press about Jose Mourinho. In 12 seasons across Europe, he's won the league title eight times. In 232 home league games over that period, they've lost five games. That's pretty good. It's nearly as good as Arena FC, you know, but it's pretty good. 
And the writer says, it's built upon three things. Number one, hard work. Guess who's first in in the morning? Mourinho. It's meticulous planning. And Sunday church just doesn't happen. And then it said this, and he has an intuitive gift for human relationships. Now, you might not like him. Arsene Wenger doesn't like him. Manuel Pellegrini doesn't like him. But his players love him. Because he has relational intelligence. He knows how to weld a team together. And if you like football, you're thinking about Chelsea, you're thinking about Eden Hazard, Professional Football Association, Football of the Year. You're thinking about Diego Costa, that loves a fight, but has scored a lot of goals as well. You're thinking about Captain John Terry or Cesc Fabregas. But what about Azul Azul What about Matic? What about Ramirez? You see, within every team, there are always under-the-radar players that are no less important. And it may be that your gift's not to preach. It may be that you never stand on this platform. It may be that you have no public profile. And don't, don't underestimate the cost of doing this on the platform at times, by the way. But the reality is that you have a vital part to play in the team. We need you. And God needs you as he, under leadership, frames the team together and makes it work. So briefly, three very brief thoughts on togetherness. Number one, it's biblical. It's biblical. Psalm 133 gives us a description of unity. It describes oil flowing down Aaron's beards. He says it's good and pleasant when people dwell together in unity. And it's just a three-verse psalm, but the third verse says that where there is unity, God commands the blessing. Someone described unity as the runway on which God's presence lands. We've got churches, friends, that have never made repair. We've got people that fell out years ago and still don't like each other. We've got churches that don't operate in unity, and then they're turning up and praying for revival. It's not going to happen. Because God's presence lands where he sees unity. He's drawn to it. He's compelled by it. He can't stop bestowing his blessing upon where he sees unity. And team and unity and togetherness is biblical. Now, I've come across Christians over the years that have quoted to me non-biblical statements with a passion to suggest that they think they're biblical. Let me give you a couple of examples. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, you won't be a very good one. It's not true. It's not true. God's told me to have a time out from church. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. Because God says that when you're planted in the house, you'll flourish. Why would he want to uproot you from the house and rob you of being blessed? He's not said it. I don't like the worship. What's the worship got to do with you? It's about him. Church doesn't meet my needs. I want to tell you, friends, when you start to meet some other people's needs, guess what? Your needs start to get met. We so make it about us. We so go in. And I spend hours and hours over these type of discussions. Not got time to spend it with people anymore. Friends, we either commit to togetherness or we don't. 
We're either in what God's doing according to the biblical mandate or we're not. But if you will find a place of connection, of plantedness, of ministry, you will be blessed. And be careful that you don't take what you do in the church to yourself. Because it's not about your vision. It's not about your ministry. Everything that we do in arena church, kids church, community, youth, whatever it is, serves the vision. And the vision is that we go and grow and that we love and serve our community. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. That's that's it. So number one, togetherness is biblical. Number two, togetherness is profitable. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 gives us a picture of God giving gifts to the church, not that they would do the ministry, but that they would empower the ministry. And out of maturity comes ministry. I'll reference Pastor Samir from Egypt in a moment or two, but simply in a breakout session last week, he talked about, you won't like this phrase, but you understand in there, he talked about the quality control of discipleship. You understand that when people come out of certain backgrounds in their context, it has to be processed very, very carefully. And so they have have what they call a quality control. It, it It sounds too stark. It sounds cold. It's not. But he says, if, he says, we're seeking to bring people quickly to maturity. Otherwise, they won't do it. If, if you live as a believer in Egypt, you mean it. You mean it. But ministry and maturity. And out of that, you find that groups of people find their destiny in God. Verse 16 of Ephesians talks about all the ligaments coming together as each plays its part. Let me give you an illustration. Last year, Sharon and myself had the blessing just for two or three days in our holiday last year to be in Prague with friends. Just three days. I'd never been to Prague before, the capital of Czech. And people said, oh, you'll love it. And we did. And uh, Prague's a very sophisticated city if you've ever been. It's full of theatres and music. Some of the greatest music of, of uh, modern and ancient times has emerged from that area of the world, but the Bavarian area. So... You've got people on the streets busking. Brilliant. I mean, you think, why aren't you in the theater? Never mind about being on the streets. Harmonic singing, four or five-part harmonic singing that you could stand for hours listening to. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it was all brilliant, apart from one guy. One-man band. Mouth organ. Little guitar. It was tinny, it was off-key, it was incompetent, and it was open to ridicule. And that's sometimes been the church of Jesus Christ. One person trying to do everything. It is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. God has called every member of the church to find their part. Not doing everything, but doing something. And the prophets... Is huge. And thirdly, togetherness is not only biblical and it's not only profitable, but it's essential. Mark's gospel, remember we're talking about a house. Mark's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 15 says, If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. 
And the Bible has called us to stand. Those verses at the end of Ephesians 6 in the context of spiritual warfare. And the best way that we stand is when we stand together. Let me give you one illustration from last week. I could use many, of course, and it could be another series. But standing together, praying. Pastor Samir Maurice, the lead pastor of Casaral Dabara Church, Cairo, just around the corner from uh, Tahir Square, where the revolution took place in 2011, was one of the keynote speakers at the conference. An amazing ministry. He spoke sort of Wednesday and then yesterday morning and just went to another level again. Uh, and spoke from Acts 16 about... Doors being opened and chains being loose. I don't have time, of course, and don't want to articulate the message. But here's the truth. Pastor Samir says, I'm a product of a missionary, Presbyterian missionary from Scotland, 150 years ago, going to Egypt and preaching the gospel. And from the preaching of that gospel, that church was birthed. Think long. And what has emerged in recent times, friends, is an apostolic spirit that is bringing national impact, not only to the nation of Egypt, but the Arabic nations around it. And sometimes because our culture is so different, it's hard for us to take in and understand all that's happening. But God is at work. Here's the thing. Prayer. Prevailing prayer. 1,000, 1,200 people meeting for a regular prayer meeting. Prayer meetings through the night. Bringing together people, 10, 20,000 people come together to pray. Here's the thing, here's the shift. In the last four years, through the power of prevailing prayer, in togetherness, unity, team, they have seen more spiritual shifts in the land of Egypt than in the previous 1,400 years. God is doing something amazing. The Bible says that where two or three agree, it shall be done. You know the word agree, there is the word in the original language, symphonia. When the symphony, the strings and the percussion and the brass come together in harmony, in unity, to play their part in the great tune that attracts the attention of heaven, things begin to shift. I want to say, friends, that every time we pray, we must always assess what is the unity of our hearts in that. Pointless praying. If I've got issues and problems with people that I've never made repair over. If I'm at daggers drawn with somebody and then I'm turning up in arena church wanting God to come. Just one example, of course, there's many through the, uh, the New Testament. So, togetherness. Biblical, profitable, and essential. I want to close by using an illustration, and I wonder if the elders of Arena Church would just join me on the stage for a moment. I'm just going to finish off in the last two or three minutes um, by trying to use an illustration that reflects what I've tried to communicate this morning. Thank you, guys. Chris, if you could put that first picture up for me. Um, Because that's a redwood tree found predominantly in the United States of America. But the redwood tree can grow to over 120 meters in height. That's over 300 feet. And uh, particularly the giant sequoia. Huge. 
In fact, some of those trees go higher than the Statue of Liberty and Big Ben. Now, you'd think that their roots would go very deep, but here's the uniqueness of the redwood tree. Chris, if we could have the other slide. You can, hopefully you can see that. But what tends to happen with the roots of the redwood is rather than going down, they go across. And it's known by experts that some of those roots go horizontally over 100 feet and they intertwine with the other trees. Guys, I wonder if you could just go arm in. You see, when one of us is thinking perhaps of going backwards... When one of us is being blown by the gale, there's an incredible security of being interlinked. I want to talk about these guys for a moment. Here are the arena elders. I don't have time to talk about the principle of eldership in the church, but a little time ago, Christian says, mate, will you write a paper on eldership? If anybody wants it for the bedtime reading, then it's there. And that's what we work to. But let me just remind you that these guys take a shepherding responsibility and care over arena arena ilkeston arena mansfield over arena community over everything that takes place tomorrow night we'll have our monthly monday night prayer meeting we've tried to finish at 10 o'clock it's often proved unsuccessful because we get passionate about leading the people of god paul on the far end has been on a great journey with his wife liz in arena church paul had a exemplary 30 plus year career in the police force and uh, with a particular passion for his hometown of Mansfield and of course the catalyst for small group growth in our church and many of you have been on the end of his teaching and his enthusiasm in recent times and we rejoice there's some shifts in that Andy you know just back from Antigua you know I mean it happens to some people, doesn't it? You know, he got blessed with a holiday in Antigua, but Andy is a, is a trainer of salesmen in the area of, of medical engineering. Uh, very specific, very important uh, uh, components, instruments that uh, people need to know work well in the operating theatre in crisis and difficulty. He used to travel even more extensively in Europe, but certainly up and down the country. If I can say of Andy, very often on a Sunday night, having served in our worship team and served across Arena Church, he's then off driving to Cardiff or, or Edinburgh. And he'll do it very often after the meeting. Just a great guy, always going to pitch up. Then we've got our lead pastor, Christian. And perhaps appropriate Christian, you're right in the middle there. And we all thank God for what Christian has brought to this journey of Arena Church. And just his, lift, his, his lead, his gift, his passion... If there's any time that we're tempted to go in an arena and seek just to be content with what we've got, this man will smell it at a thousand pieces and get us looking out again before you know what's happened. He's passionate. He's an evangelist at heart. Far more than that, of course. Great communicator, great lead. And Christian, we thank you for all you bring. We know it's been a challenging season for you, frustrating these last couple of months, but God's going to bring you through stronger and uh, greater than, than ever in processing it. And then, yeah, I'm all right. See, there's Neil's care for me. I've got it. And then we've got Neil. Neil's the quiet man of the team, but his longevity, his faithfulness to this church has been amazing, along with his wife, Anne. And local church doesn't exist without people like Neil Simpson. It really doesn't. And Neil, we honor you for that. Steve, on the end, social entrepreneur, banking backgrounds. 
you know, if Steve's not got a deal on, he's not happy. If he's not sort of seat of the pants, he's, he's, you know, he, he loves the adrenaline rush of a new deal. And his heart and passion to reach broken people is amazing. Great prophetic gift, of course, as well, along with Lynn. Love to pray for people, love to impart. And so quality guys, and I'm, I'm sort of in this, or hanging on by my coattails sometimes. So they're just in the midst of all that. And it's a joy for me. Whatever I do, friends, I go from these guys. I'm accountable to them. If there's something I do at times inappropriately, either privately or publicly, I give them room to admonish me. That's the sort of relationship that we've got. Redwood trees. And we're believing, guys, I'm believing that all of you will continue to grow taller. But here's the secret. I thought this morning, should I get Josh and the guys up? Could have done. Great team. Should I get Helen back up? Great team. Should I get Lisa? Great teams. But this team particularly cover the life of Arena Church. We are called to honor the elders, if I can say it, to submit to the elders. Because they have our best intentions at heart and to follow the leads. And here's what somebody said about the redwood tree. So tall. That when they are linked together like that, they are able to withstand the high winds and the raging floods. Because they have great strength against the forces of nature. In other words, you'd think they topple easily for seemingly lack of roots. But the interconnection of the roots that spread out often over a hundred feet enable them to withstand the storms. And there are times, friends, when storms rage against the arena church. And you've got a group of elders here that are going to withstand them for you and on behalf of you on occasions. Sometimes those storms download themselves to individuals, sickness, redundancy, a broken relationship, an errant child, things that you pour your heart out to, that come across your life. You need to know that people stand with you. And that interconnection of rootedness enables every one of us to become the tall person that God's called us to be in our destiny and purpose in God's. I said to Christian recently, and I'm closing with this, <clears throat> that there is a reach for Marina Church that needs to extend. There's a reach from this church, friends, that needs to extend. I don't want to copycat people, but when I think of Casa Aldebar and I had the joy of being there three weeks ago, 700 people in their missions conference, every one of those people in some way or another connected back to that apostolic church, by the way, led by elders with a humble spirit. And I just thought this picture today tries to get across the picture of the church. Redwood trees in the spirit. Seeking to be tall in God, but interconnected. So whatever comes against us, friends, will stand strong in the power of the Lord. Why don't you just show your appreciation for these guys as we close. Thank you. I close by asking you this. Who are you intertwined with? You may be intertwined with some stuff. Christian, pray this morning that's dark. And you need to break it and break it in Jesus' name. And I trust that you're intertwined with God's love. But I say it carefully again, friends. It's got to be more than that. You need to find a house that God has joined you to. And be intertwined with it. It sounds a bit cheesy on the back of our conference. But we really are stronger together. May we reach out to one another. So that we may grow tall in God's purposes and plans 
for our lives. Togetherness. What a great principle right at the heart of God. Thank you, Christian.